you always get something out of therapy all the time, no matter how resistant you are to your therapist or if you guys don't gel or whatever the situation is, or even if you think that it didn't work for you, you always get something out of therapy. This is In Therapy, stories and conversations about the pursuit of mental health. I'm your host, Abagazmanz. Please be warned that this episode contains references to sexual abuse. Listener's discretion is advised. Lots of incredible music coming your way for the next three hours right here on the B-Side with myself, Bridget Masinga, on the home of the Afropolitan. The weather looks like it's a lot better than it was yesterday. Uh, the air a lot warmer today, which is good, which is good, because I was starting to worry. Bridget Masinga um, has been in the public know, eye for close to two decades horse, now guess, as a model, actor and presenter on television and radio. I first met her here at Kai FM when she joined the station as host of Late Nights and later The B-Side, which she currently presents. She's always come across to me as a joyous extrovert of sorts, who laughs very easily. But she tells me that as a child, she was very different. I was very quiet and I kind of stuck to myself. Um, And I could lock myself up in a room in my bedroom for hours. Just me and the TV and my books. And yeah, especially when I was younger. I don't remember being, maybe that's why I look at kids sometimes in awe, because I don't remember being that kid who was just like free and joyous and laughing all the time. And no, I don't remember that. Bridget suspects that she was withdrawn as a child because she experienced sexual abuse when she was about six years old. When the abuse was discovered, her family took her to see a therapist. The individual was almost caught in in action, for lack of a better word. Um, and then there was processes that came out of that, obviously, police investigations, social workers get involved. Um, you know, now I'm understanding the processes being grown up and, and recommendations are then made that, you know, a six-year-old has to then go talk to a stranger about something that's very personal (laughs) to a six-year-old and already sort of I guess in 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 that moment you're already bombarded with so many strangers who are all after information of sorts Um, and I think the last person I probably wanted to go talk to was a therapist and I don't have much recollection about those sessions except to know that I was mute in all of them. And so this was Bridget's very first encounter with therapy. And although she doesn't remember much about those sessions, she suggests that the incident may have influenced her character in fundamental ways. I say to people, I learned the term in recent years that, that I'm probably an, an extroverted introvert. Because I think I'm I'm very loud and I'm very colorful and I'm very happy. And I think that's by deliberate design <laughs> to mask everything else because I'm emotionally unable to communicate. 
So I've I've always been, and it's a trait that I carry, and I've been like this from, you know, from childhood. I've always been the the kid who, if something is wrong, I don't speak out. I don't I don't talk. I don't. Uh, yeah, I yeah. Very few people have the privilege of knowing my truest, honest emotional state at any given time. Um, it's a horrible trait, <laughs> but you know something I'm conscious of and something I'm I'm working towards. And I think from that incident onwards, my I assumed the character of you must be strong so that everyone else can find a way of moving on and so for me it was that and I don't I mean it's not that my mother ever imposed it on me but that's just the role that I assumed um, so you got to keep the secret and you got to be okay and you can't be the one that people are worrying about and because you've and that's now just my character you know, you've got to be the I'm fine one so that everyone else knows that you're okay and then they can then lean on you because then you end up being the strong one, right? Because then everyone kind of thinks that she's always okay. But actually, you're just being okay so that they can be okay. Um, yeah, because it's easier to be happy. People prefer people like me to be happy. After that first encounter with a therapist during her formative years, Bridget would again seek professional help as an adult and met a psychologist that she's built a relationship with over the years. She first went in alone for a few weeks and then with her partner at the time for couples therapy. By this time, Bridget was a recognizable figure in the entertainment industry and I wondered whether her therapist, Angela, behaved in any particular way because of this. You know, you think about that when you go into therapy because you divulge so much, right? So your first session is always like, what brings you here? And from your first session, you kind of have to tell your story and be very raw and honest about it. But then you kind of trust in the code of ethics and that if you ever tell anybody any of the things that I told you, I will sue you to the wall. <laughs> um, I know Angela found out a couple of sessions in. She connected the dots. And then she really connected the dots when she saw my wedding on top billing. And she was like, ah, you, you know. Um, but she never, that it never came up. It, and it was never a thing that she, you could tell that she was conscious of. What was it like uh, being in therapy with your partner? That was interesting. It was a safer space because communication for us was our big issue, right? Um, so it was a safer space for us to hash out our stuff. Um, and I think Angela was just really brought to me by the universe because you would think that a white woman should not make you feel so comfortable in life. <laughs> but she really did from the minute I walked in because I walked in as a single. I told her what brought me there, what my issues were. We probably did like two, three sessions together. And then she's like, I think you should bring your partner in. And then we came in together, you know. So, yeah, so it was a safe space. We could we could talk honestly. Those honest conversations in couples therapy led Bridget to realize that she didn't want to be in that relationship anymore. And both of them moved on. A few years later, she met her current partner. And after some time, she suspected that she was pregnant and set up an appointment with her gynecologist to confirm. 
He ran a series of tests and just from the look in his eyes, she could tell that all was not well. I'd never seen him just go from like light to dark within seconds. And when he said there's no heartbeat, like, I, it's, it's like he pulled the umbilical cord straight out of me. Like, it's like he ripped my heart right out. Because, I mean, from the morning to when I went to see him in the afternoon, I had envisioned, you know? So <laughs> I was like, I see myself in maxi dresses and doing the vibes. I was already on, like, third trimester. <laughs> I was planning first birthday. So I was I was broken. I I was completely and utterly shattered, and I stayed shattered for days. I didn't come to work for that whole week. Um, yeah, I didn't come to work. It was it was horrible. I was broken, completely and utterly shattered and broken all in one afternoon. Like you go from, you know, there's nothing I think worse than being someone who really, really, really wants to breathe life. And you go from that high and that suspicion of, oh, this could be, this could be. Because you misunderstand, you're fueling yourself and gassing yourself up. And you're like, oh. And then, you know, and your doctor, who's always cautious, and you tell him what's going on with you and for how long it's been going on. And he's like, absolutely, let's break up the champagne. Because no one suspected anything. I'm otherwise a very healthy female. Over time, Bridget came to realize that her fertility challenges were substantial and subsequent miscarriages changed her relationship to hospitals. I hate hospitals. I hate them with a passion. Um, and it's, I started looking at hospital service providers differently. When, when they start, when you are wheeled in and, and you're in that bed and you're wearing that stupid gown of theirs and you're staring at that gray ceiling and you see a face that you don't recognize but that recognizes you. There was a lady in, in the surgery the one day and she looked down at me as I was about to doze off, drugged up, and she looked down at me and she goes, I'm sorry you're here again. And I was just like, oh, wow. Even they get touched by these things. Like... You know, so, yeah, no, that broke me. I think that first miscarriage really took the life out of me. It really did. Um, the rest have been painful. They've been hard to deal with in their own different ways. Um, but I think that first one, because that first one, like I said, I didn't realize how much I wanted a baby until I realized how much I wanted a baby. I fantasized a lot, even as a kid, about picture-perfect things, you know, picture-perfect families. I'm 10 steps ahead in my imagination of this perfect family and this perfect home and this perfect husband and perfect kids and... How then has the disappointment of miscarriage 
affected you considering that there are these fantasies that are very much alive in your mind? Oh, hectically. Oh, oh, now you're going to make me cry. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. That has... That has probably been one of the most hurtful things in in recent years. It really has. And I, you know, if you ask my best friend, uh, we grew up together, our mothers are best friends. And, and she'll tell you that she always used to say to me after I got a divorce, and she'd be like, I don't want you to ever miss out on the opportunity of being a mother because for as long as I've known you, that is such a huge part of who you are and you place a huge portion of your identity on that and so that's been hard um yeah that's been hard i have my moments when i'm angry at god and angry at life and optimistic and yeah it's been a hard one to swallow oh that's tough that's tough in all the time that Bridget was dealing with her loss she wasn't seeing Angela her therapist and then at some point when she realized that it was all too heavy for her to carry, she got in touch with her. By then, Angela had moved to Cape Town, and since Bridget is based in Johannesburg, they consulted via Skype over three months. I probably cried for the first month every day for an hour. And she's like, I don't understand why you do this to yourself. I don't get why you don't reach out for help. You can't breathe. You literally cannot breathe. And yet you've been gasping and gasping and gasping instead of just saying, I can't do this. And in that three month period, um, in what ways did that help you? Oh, that helped. That helped a lot. It just it just helped to allow me to just breathe. Um, and to talk to somebody, I don't really talk to my friends about my problems. Um, you know, even when, I mean, apart from that first miscarriage, uh, even when I've had, you know, the subsequent others, half the time my friends find out after the fact. I tell them after the fact because I feel that people have other problems that are more personal to themselves to deal with. Um, so it helped. It helped talking to her it, because I really was feeling like the screws were coming off the handle at that particular point in time. And the world had just gotten a little bit too small and my life had gotten a bit too claustrophobic. And Angela was safe. And she was safe and she was familiar. And she, and she understands where I come from with a lot of things. Um, and she gets the importance and the magnitude of a lot of things. So talking to her is like talking to a bestie who's just 
not going to hold that against you or be judgmental until you've made a decision one way or another. Yeah, it it helped. I felt a lot lighter then. Having experienced one-on-one therapy with her there in the room, how was how were the Skype sessions? Um, you know, I prefer her warm blood in the room. I do. And she's very stoic in her demeanor. And she's got quite a poker face. I was telling her this week because now I'm searching for somebody that I can have one-on-ones with. And I saw somebody the other day who's very expressive. And I was like, I don't know if I want my therapist to be as expressive as my best friend would be if I'm in conversation with my best friend. Yeah, so like Skyping was, I mean, you don't get that warm-blooded thing, but also because it's Angela, just seeing her face brings some kind of comfort. And so it worked for me. I'm I'm not going to lie, it worked. Um, I don't think it changed much in terms of the demeanor because even if she's there, besides just you feeling her blood flowing, she's still, she's that kind of therapist, like the ones you see on TV, where you don't really know what they're thinking. Um, And I think that's a good thing because if she's probing and leading you towards some kind of you connecting the dots for yourself emotionally and mentally, you almost don't want to feel like she's infusing her thoughts or her personal opinions into your situation. So Skype was pretty much the same. It's just like, okay. I I find it interesting that you don't want someone who's as expressive as your best friend. (laughs) And I've never thought about that. So could you just explain to me? Well, I went to see a therapist the other day. Um, uh, So I was seeking a male therapist, a male black therapist. I want a man's perspective. I decided. I mean, I happened to just fall on Angela because, you know, their firm practice came highly recommended and she was available and we gelled. Um, so this time around, I was I was seeking a black male therapist and I went to her firm in Bryanston, her former firm practice, and they have a male black therapist, but he's highly in demand. <laughs> and so he's not taking on any new patients. And then I realized that there aren't that many male black therapists <laughs> available. Think they're not born with that stuff you know um so then i ended up seeing a female black therapist and she's just expressive i don't know if your therapist should relate too much to the things that you're going through or be too empathetic mm. to the things that you're going through because then i feel like it's hard to be objective you know Um, because I've since realized that doctors have emotions. Like, I haven't gone through all the stuff that I've gone through with N. Ilanvar, and he shared, um, you know, some of the journey of some of his other clients that he's had or patients that he's had for, like, over 10 years who are, like, friends now. And it's hard. And he was like, it's hard for me to watch y'all lose babies because I'm invested in your dreams. You know, having had a lady at Mediclinic who's seen me on multiple occasions remember my face is hard. You you realize that these are human beings. So they can't just switch off 
because it says MD in front of their names. And so being with a therapist who was like, yo, <laughs> you're lying. No, well, she didn't say yo, but she was like, oh, and then, oh, you know, that kind of engagement, like, like we're friends. And she, she's warm and I can tell she's warm because it was easy to talk to her. But her, and she tries to hide it from time to time. <laughs> But she, I mean, I caught her rolling her eyes. <laughs> and I was like, I'm pretty sure a therapist is not supposed to roll their eyes. Why was she rolling her Like eyes? in shock of what I was telling her. Like, oh my God, like shock and disbelief. Yeah, no, I just, yeah, no, she's, I mean, we'll give it a shot. We'll go for another one. Maybe three. We'll give her three sessions and see what comes out of the three sessions. She did. Makes sense in our observations. I think I therapize myself as well. I think I'm pretty good at self-diagnosis because she made observations and asked questions that I've been asking myself for the last couple of months. Um, so she's, I guess she's good in her job in that sense. Yeah, but yo, I don't know. We have to work and maybe I should just tell her. Like, can you just have a poker face? Can you just... Not be too expressive. Just fold your arms and sit there in your chair and go, hmm, hmm, hmm. <laughs> I don't know. How much of your therapist's experience do you want to hear in the session? As in their personal experience? Their personal experience about life and as I don't, a reference. I don't want to know about your personal experiences <laughs> if you're my therapist. I'm not paying you 900 rand an hour for you to tell me about your stories. <laughs> like, that is not what we're about. <laughs> you know, I feel, and I think that's probably one of, of my, my, like, and the anxiety that's being induced with this first session with this therapist, I feel like she could cross <laughs> that very thin line and start telling me about her stuff. You know, I, I really don't, even when it comes to your opinion, I really don't really want to know your opinion. I want you to lead me to getting my own answers, which is what Angela does so well. Like, you know, Angela will sit there, cross her arms, put her fingers to her chin, be in thought, ask you one question, listen to you talking for like 10 minutes, double back with another question, listen to you talking, and then say something that seems profound, but when you're sitting late at home, you're like, oh, actually, she just made me realize that I had that answer all along. Okay. <laughs> and then you come back for more, you know. Yeah, I kind of don't want your opinion. <laughs> Is that a bad thing to say? And I don't want your stories. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not a bad thing to say at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, the cost of therapy, you mentioned 900 bucks. Yeah. Um. Uh, what are your thoughts on the cost of therapy? It's expensive. It really is. Um, 900 rand for an hour of someone's time is very pricey. Um, and that's probably like a huge deterrent for why a lot of people also don't do it. Because also you need to be in therapy for a very long time. 
sometimes. You can't be, it's not a hit thing like you're there for three weeks and then, you know, all things are good. Um, you need to build that rapport with your therapist, you guys. It takes you a while just for you to lay the groundwork of your story. That takes you a couple of sessions. Then you keep doubling back and then like making comparative notes and, and, and. So, I mean, imagine being in therapy for a year and you've got to be consistent, right? You've got to go once a week, every week for 900 bucks. Eventually, medical aid savings deplete. Then you've got to pay for it. Um, but with that said, it's essential because I feel you always get something out of therapy. It's necessary. It's like going to the GP and going to the dentist. You wouldn't sit at home with like a toothache and having sleepless nights and then just sit there for weeks on end, you know. Um, and I mean, I get it. I, I, I get it because to open up to somebody to that degree because you can't lie to your therapist. It's pointless. So opening up to a complete stranger can seem like a bit of, I don't know, like anxiety-inducing, heart-pulsing, sweat-breaking-out moment, but you just got to. Like, um, and at least the one surety with therapists is you... you you know, when you're working through things, um, especially like th a lot of the times we're all working through things that concern love, right, and relationships. And these are all relationships that you really don't want to let go of or these are people that are blood or you know what I mean? It's not you, you're not working through stuff that a stranger you don't give a damn about said. You're working through stuff that people who are in your life who have an impact and an influence are saying and doing. And so why not go pay somebody who's a complete stranger who's not going to hold any of your actions, your words or your thoughts against you down the line? or remind you of them down the line when you actually don't want to be reminded because now you've worked through that chapter and now you want to move along swiftly. Versus telling your friends and your family who... And it's not because they mean bad. It's just they think what they're doing is correct. So go lean on someone strange and then tell your closest just 10% of what you told the strange person. Just go to therapy. Try it. What changes have you seen in yourself? Oh, a lot. I've become... Uh, at first, I've become a better communicator. That was the biggest thing because I really sucked at emotional communication. I really did. I was a, I'm fine. I'm good. Like, hey, you know. So that was like the biggest thing is I'm able to talk about what is hurting me um, what is causing me grief what is you know I can talk about that stuff now it may still take me a day or two but I will talk about it sometimes the darkness sits on my chest Making it harder to tell east from west and breathe, breathe to 
Thank you so much to my guest, Bridget Masinga, for sharing her story with me. Her show at Kai FM is every Monday to Thursday between 12 and 3 p.m. Dinika Naidu is my co-content producer. Nomali Tsaile is the digital producer. And Paman Layende is the engineer. For regular updates on the podcast, you can follow me on Twitter at Ngabamanzi or find me on Facebook. The official theme song for the podcast is Breathe by Zasha, taken from her album Therapy. It's available on all digital platforms. Yeah.